0: Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Sean Walker of Simple Cove, and I'm joined today by Hui Huen from the Alabama Woodworker. Hey, Sean. Hey. And Guy Dunlap of Guy's Woodshop. Hey. Hello. Hello. This podcast is intended (laughs) to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon campaign, and we'd like to thank our newest patron, Patrick Price. If you'd like to support the show, we're simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash life if you'd like to show your support. But with that, let's get right into it. Hui, what do you got for us? Okay, so this is a question that's been on the table for a little
1: while, and this is from Jeff. Uh, which type of router would you suggest for fitting to a router table? I imagine that if I buy a plunge or fixed type base router and mount it to the table, and I can always take it out and use it handheld, et cetera. But with a motor body, I can leave it set up and just purchase a plunge type as well. More tools is always a good thing. So, yeah, when I first. So let's talk about, you know, router motors. Um, right now, I have this Porter Cable 7518, and that's the big honkin' three and a quarter horsepower, five speed uh, motor that you can buy. Uh, and it's it's pretty common within router tables to use within router tables. But before that, I was using a Bosch 1617, and that was pretty good. That's I think it was a two and a half horsepower um, motor underneath my router table. Um, I like the 7518 and he's Jeff is completely right. Um, you know I, I did not when i had the 1618 i bought the Bosch 1618 1617 1617 i initially bought it thinking that like oh i'll just take it out and use it you know i'll have one router router and i'll yeah, use but you've it got hand.
2: that you've got that router motor in a lift
1: correct and there's you're absolutely right uh guy when i Got the 1617. I actually about uh, two, three months later, got a Festool 1400, OF1400. 1400, and I never, ever, ever took that 1617 out. In fact, actually, I've got the 1617 in a box in my attic that I probably need to either sell or give it to somebody. But yeah, it I don't think it's a good idea because there's calibration and it's not as easy to take them in and out of a router lift. Now, I believe, and I've not had experience with this, but I think, Guy, I think you've had experience with the Triton, like three Mm -hmm. and a quarter. What's your thought on that? Because I believe they make it fairly easy to mount that underneath the table. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. First of all, I want to make a comment on Hui saying he's going to give his 1617 router away. And what I'm doing right now is I'm looking for his phone number. (laughs)
1: What, well You have so o- you can so you like can text two routers. It's don't one,
2: you? Six, one, five. <laughs> eight,
1: eight, Anyways. eight, Whatever. Whatever.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I I I've had. Well, the thing is with the Porter Cable, they don't make that router anymore. I know, and I don't know what because this is the first time I've seen this question or heard the questions tonight. So I don't know what they replaced that
1: with. You're talking about the big honking one, right?
2: Yeah, the three and a quarter horsepower motor. Right. They don't make it anymore. Mm. They stopped making it. So you're I don't know sure? what's... Like,
0: yes. I bought yeah. it on Amazon in April of 2020. It's 75182. It's three and a quarter.
2: Well, I I, I, I thought I read somewhere they discontinued it. I may be mistaken. Well, it's currently so, unavailable. So, so maybe I bought it after
1: or before. So, Guy, you're really close. I think it's the other one. There's another so the, so the 75182 uh, Panto router used would sell their uh, kit with this one of the Porter cables. It's not 7518, but that is the one that I think they don't they no longer make. And I actually was talking to Max Sheldon and he said that he bought a thousand of them. It was the last thousand lot that they had available and he bought all of them. Because he sells them with with his Panther router, I don't, mm-hmm. I, but but I think you're right. It, it is a Porter cable, but it's not the seventy five eighteen.
2: Yeah, I, I, like I said I'm. I'm I don't. I, I don't know all the details on it because it didn't really affect me, so I never looked investigated into it, it. So it's like, yeah, somebody said they discontinued the three and a quarter horsepower Porter. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, that kind of sucks. But I didn't really investigate it, so I, I I'm sorry for saying something I'm not you know, completely, totally familiar with. Well, to help you out
0: on that, I just did a search and it's mine that I bought is out of stock on Amazon, out of stock on Woodcraft. Out of stock at Home Depot. Just look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they discontinued it.
1: It's quite possible. Yeah.
2: But getting back to the original thing where you're talking about the Triton router, I had a woodpecker plate, just the the standard uh, aluminum plate with the rings. And it had, you know, like a bunch of holes in it. And some of the holes were there for the Triton router. The neat thing about the Triton router, it's designed to be put, it's a plunge router. And it's, you know, you can take it off the, the the router plate pretty easy. You know, it's three uh, three or four screws. But the cool thing about it is the motor on that thing is sealed underneath if it's upside down. So chips won't fall in it. And also it's got a built-in lift with a rod and a Mm -hmm. a hand crank and everything. It's very cool.
1: All integrated into the router itself. All
2: integrated into the router table. And Woodpecker's has a base or a a plate that's, you know, it's a nine and a half by 11, I think is the standard size plate, um, that accommodates that router. And it worked really well. I was Mm -hmm. really happy with it. The Mm -hmm. only reason I got rid of it is I wanted to get a a more power. I needed a, a router that would spin larger bits, mm. you know, like, uh, uh, large profile bits. So I needed three and a quarter horsepower. And that's why I decided to go with the anchor lift and, right. uh, and the, uh, port cable motor. That's pretty much it. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Well, my so,
0: story is a combination of kind of, well, it's, it's pretty much identical to Hui, um, with a little bit of guys sprinkled in. So, I started with the 1617 EVS. It's two and a quarter horse. Mm-hmm. I tried to get away with just one router and, um, you know, thought I would do the same, pull it out and use it, put it back in. And I had a woodpecker, uh, plate or insert phenolic. I think, I don't know what material they make it out of. Uh, it wasn't metal. Um, and I would use the fixed base of the 1617 And it had a a hole on the bottom of it that you could use this little Allen wrench to use it as like a, uh, as a homemade lift. Never worked well. Always, you know, always messed up. But, you know, and then I was like, well, I'll just take the, I'll leave the fixed base mounted to the bottom of the plate, pop the motor out, stick it in the plunge base, use it, stick it back in the router plate, stick it back in this, stick it back in that. And, you know,
2: it It got old,
0: it it got old and it got a little quick. So I got the. You know, I got, when I upgraded my router table and built something, built a nice router table that I have, I went with the, uh, 75, uh, Porter cable three and a quarter. And then I used my, I ended up buying a Festool router, but, and then I used the, uh, Bosch outside of that. And it just makes life a whole lot better. I mean, it, you can get away with it, but again, it's, it, you pay the couple hundred bucks for the convenience factor or yeah. you know, sit there and struggle and, and, with
2: it. Routers are not. Extremely pricey, unless you start getting into like the fast 12 ones or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you know, a uh, uh, hundred and fifty dollars will buy you a nice handheld plunge router. Yeah, I,
1: I really like the Bosch 1617 EVS a lot, and that's I think when I bought it, it that's when you're giving away. Yes, that's the one, one I'm giving six away.
2: Five, <laughs> <laughs> stop giving away my number
1: short. stop <laughs> anyway so, so hey i just wanted to add to that whole port of cable discussion that we had earlier and uh i i just looked it up on the discussion forum at fine woodworking so just take that with a grain of salt i mean it yeah. you know it's it's rumen right so um it looks like from that form it says port of cable is no longer going to again from the form Porter Cable is no longer going to be producing routers. Sales are now limited to stock on hand everywhere. So if you want a 690, 890, or 7518, get it now. If you can even find one, nothing in stock on Amazon, eBay, Woodcraft, et cetera. Yeah, that was September 2020. Yeah,
2: and I believe
1: left. <laughs> I believe um, Max Sheldon of Panto Router bought all of the 690s. So... Um, and even, his
2: phone number is?
1: <laughs> you might want to call them and, you know, <laughs> give them your first child for, for a Porter Cable 690. But, you know, this is going to be interesting, right? Because Porter Cable, it's weird because they made, like, really great routers, but kind of mediocre or a lot of other things. And so my wondering is, like, who's going to fill that void?
2: Yeah, somebody. I, I know where to look right now. So give me a second. I'm going to. I know it's horrible that I'm looking at the internet while we're doing this.
0: What are you looking for? I'm
2: not going to tell you.
0: <laughs> I want it to be a surprise. I was going to say, I could probably help you look for it a little faster.
2: What are you saying? I'm old and don't know how to use the internet?
0: Two is faster than one.
2: Um, hmm. That's true. That's what they always say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what about the 7519? What's is that sold out to?
1: 19? What's the 7519? I've not heard of that. Well, one. Well, well, well. I it's know the the Porter,
0: It's a Porter cable.
2: Well, okay. they just said Porter, according to the fine woodworking thing, that they're not making... Any routers anymore? Any routers anymore.
1: So the 7519 is not a variable speed. <sighs> Who needs it? Does Granger have it? I don't know. Are we going to... No, nope, Product discontinued. Anyway... Oh my goodness, yeah. Actually, it says on Granger product discontinued. Anyway.
0: We're 15 minutes on the first question.
1: (laughs) I know. We got to move on.
2: (laughs) Okay. Okay. What I was looking at was the Anchor website and looking at their lift and seeing which routers they recommend using. Mm. For three and a half horsepower, they're saying a Milwaukee 5625-20. Okay. I don't know exactly what that is.
1: Well, it's what they're they're saying. Yeah, and it's
2: pricey. They're saying add add $379.95. Wow. Ouch. I doubt that is just the router motor.
0: No, it's not. With a fixed base.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So. um,
1: Yeah, the 75 8. The seventy five eighteen when it was available.
0: All right, dudes, we gotta wrap this up. Like we've uh, been talking about routers for twenty minutes.
1: All right, all right, <laughs> right? all right. all no, right. I don't know how you're
0: uh, gonna edit that. <laughs> well, no, it's only thirteen minutes.
1: Anyway, we'll we'll go ahead and move on. Um, <clears throat> I think it's guy. Yeah, it's is guy. the next question.
2: Yep. Is it? <clears throat> all right. This question is for from Billy, and it says, "Hey guys, thanks all for always producing such great content." Well, thank you, Billy. My question is about dovetails for beginners. Yay. Yay. I've never done dovetails before, but recently purchased the Lee through dovetail jig TD 330, and I'm eager to get going. What tips, tricks, and general words of wisdom would you give someone who is just starting to work with dovetails? I know that's super open-ended, so here are a couple specific questions to get the Jesus flowing. I see that this jig can be used with a handheld router, Or a router table? Do you have a preferred method when making your dovetails? I've also heard people say to buy extra material when starting to work with dovetails, but how much extra? If I'm making a box, should I plan to buy enough materials for six sides? Basically giving myself two extra box sides in case of screw-ups, which never happens. Thanks again for the great (laughs) shows. I learned so much from you guys and really appreciate it, Billy. So I'm going to take the last question first, which is, should I have extra material? You should always have extra material. Hmm. Whatever you do, whatever project you're doing, save all your cutoffs, save all the scrap from that project. Cause you never know when you're going to need it. And, and always, you know, if I'm making legs for a table, I make five legs. I always have an extra leg. Yeah. Just for example. Anyway. So, Tips and tricks. I'm going to leave to Hui and Sean because I am not the dovetail king.
0: Well, is he but, wanting tips and tricks for this dovetail jig, or just dovetails in general? Because I've never I, used
2: he, I think he's got just ju- the dovetails in general. I think we've all used the jigs before.
0: Not this jig. Not this jig. No. Not this
2: particular jig. No, but we've used dovetail jigs before. They all basically work the same. Yeah. Um, not me. Really? R- really?
0: Correct. I have a lead dovetail uh, jig, but I've just never used it. No kidding. That's right.
2: Uh, um, all right.
0: I, actually, I have a lead dovetail jig, too, that I bought, used, and I never used it. <laughs> it's okay. one of those things that looks awesome, and, but then you yeah. buy it like there's
2: so many pieces. That's, that's what I use. Yeah. Uh, and every time I use it, I have to relearn how to do it. because That's we the problem. It it's got like a 90-page <laughs> But if I, use, if I use my, like I'm doing small pieces uh-huh. that are like a half inch thick or less... I just use my anchor router table and I, I don't have to even look at the instructions. I can just belt them yeah. out anyway. Yeah. So back to Billy's questions. I see that this jig can be used with a handheld router or a router table. Mm-hmm. And I, I know what he's referring to. And I took a quick look at this jig before we, we started, because I did get a chance to look at the question before we started, obviously. And, um, it's really what you're more comfortable with, to be honest with you. Uh, I've used jigs like that before that are similar to that. And basically what it is is you put the the, the pieces in there, you hold it upside down, mm-hmm. and you move it over the router table. Or you can put it in a vise and then use a handheld router with a with a bearing and Mm-hmm. Or bushing and, and go in and out and do what you need to do. Uh, as far as any tips or tricks for something like that, I, sharp bits. Yeah. Sharp bits, be patient and read the mm-hmm. instructions and yeah. have plenty of extra material.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it- if there's any videos, not from YouTubers, but from the manufacturer that's online, watch them. Yeah, and those yeah. are going to be your best reference. Um, yeah, that's Lee is, Lee is pretty good about producing videos for their product. Yeah, so oftentimes
1: they'll send a DVD with it
0: too. I got a VHS tape with mine. Are you serious? Really? Yeah, that's how old it is. <laughs> cool, that's crazy. I bought um, it used.
2: Yeah, you got a beta, beta max tape, um, <laughs>
1: laser disc.
2: So you guys. You know, so Billy's a beginning woodworker and he wants to do dovetails. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm always going to recommend a jig. I think the Lee jigs are very, very good. This particular one he's looking at doesn't have 8 million parts. It's a very simple jig. Yeah. Um, But if it's a Lee jig, I know it's quality. Yeah. Because it's good stuff. What would you guys recommend for a beginning woodworker going out and making dovetails?
1: I, I think if he's using the jig, and, and this is at least No, I'm just saying, what would,
2: what would you recommend? Not necessarily this jig, but what would you recommend? Talking to uh, just a brand new person that's just starting woodworking, and he says comes to you and says, I want to do dovetails.
1: Yeah. What would
2: you tell him to do?
1: Uh, Do a good layout. Think it through first and lay it out because you might put the pins on the wrong side or the tails on the wrong side, on the wrong board. Uh, If you're pulling out and uh, if the board that is going to be the drawer front or the um, the board that's going to have the stress on it, if it that if that has the tails, that is not going to work. Right. Because uh, one, it's not going to look right. But two, you're 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 basically um, slipping out from the pins when you're pulling on that drawer front. So Mm -hmm. just like lay it out. Right. Just lay it out, think about it, think it through. Like Guy said, be patient, take your time. But just one thing that I wanted to talk about in, term, in terms of the jig, I myself personally prefer using the router table over using like a handheld router just because I kind of feel like I have better control and it's less tippy. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's
0: just my thought. Mm-hmm. Sean, any tips for him? Um, if you're hand cutting dovetails, because again... I don't, I don't know anything about this. I mean, I looked at it just for a second, but, um.
2: So you've never done anything but hand cut dovetails?
0: Hand cut with, uh, just by hand and with a handheld, uh, yeah. magnetic jig. Mm-hmm. Um, many, that many, cat, many, many.
2: Moses jig?
0: Um, not only or that any? one, but the Lee Valley jig as well, which, um, the Lee, Lee Valley jig, it, it clamps a little bit better. To the it clamps to the board so it holds it in place better mm. so you don't have to hold your hand on the jig mm-hmm. the cats moses has multiple sides to it that allow you to do multiple things um so you know it's just one of those things of whichever one you think works best you know they both sure. the Lee valley jig and the cats moses works well another option is to use the um you know make your own your own um angle board and use the bandsaw there's i have a a video of me doing that using that but when it comes time to you know learning how to cut dovetails layout is what i would spend the majority of my time on at the beginning understanding how to space them out uh what looks good understand you know the the reasoning behind the 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 joinery method um Mm -hmm understand, uh, which, what, like we was saying, which board needs the pens and which one needs the tails. Mm. And then, you know, going from there, if you're going to hand cut them, which you're not, cause you got this lead jig, have a good, I, I like a, a Japanese pull saw is nice. Um, they're mm. inexpensive and you can get, and they're sharp and they they work well. Yeah. Um, you know, just laying them out is a good start and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and practicing and practicing and practicing. But when it comes to this lead dovetail jig, Sharp bit, I would probably, um, I don't know what kind of router table you have. If it's Mm -hmm. a, if it's a nice sturdy table and everything is dialed in and it's, you know, the bits 90 degrees to the table and there's nothing messed up with it. You know, that's definitely an option. I I think it's just a case of you needing to, uh, Billy, you needing to test both and see what you like better, see what you're more comfortable with. Um, I would probably go for, you know, using the plunge router on top of it, but if you don't have a good workbench with a good vice to hold that in place definitely Mm. use the router table um right right. and practice on you know buy some cheap wood like poplar or pine or something like that and uh and and learn the layout the different layouts the spacing i don't think you can do much you know customization with that that dovetail jig but i'm not i'm not sure um but it's just one of those things where you just gotta learn how to use the jig Mm -hmm. and and just go to town on it i don't think there's anything we can really you know give you tips on it's just it's a from what i saw it's just a standard jig with standard finger spacing and then just cut it line it up learn how to use it and cut it it i
2: I find it interesting that both you guys really hit hard on layout and wrapping your head around the whole you know well that's because tails and pins and which which way they're going the layout i
0: we went into it not knowing how to use anything about this jig. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. But I, I still, I, I still think it's interesting. Well,
0: if you're um, hand cutting them, you absolutely need to need to fine tune your layout. Mm-hmm. I think like that's, two big
2: tails. But that you have to do the same case case thing when, when you're using a jig. You have to. Mm-hmm. well with the jig, you're limited mm-hmm. to layout, so you yeah. really have to cut your pieces. With the intention of using that jig and the spacing that it provides, yeah, so but it's a whole lot so you've easier. Got like a, so you've got like a half pin, mm, yeah, at the on end. on 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 this. You know, so the piece needs to be four and a half inches. It can't be four and a quarter. It's got to be mm. four and a half. Yeah, mm. but
0: you're kind of defined. Like you're stuck to that stuff using the pre-built TD three thirty. Like it's mm-hmm. just a slab. But that's of that's
2: what that's exactly what I'm saying. If you have this jig, which he does. I'm saying the biggest thing to remember is the and, and you're talking about layout. And I said, that's interesting, because the layout not only for hand cut, but for something like this is very important because right. your lim- the finger spacing is static.
0: Yeah. Mm, yes. So okay. you
2: have to you have to sense. plan for half pins on on the drawers.
1: Right, and so, so you're very. It's dictating how wide that board
2: can be. It's dictating how wide that board can be. It's got to right. be four and a quarter. It's got to be four and a half inches, or five and a half inches, or six and a half inches. Yeah. It can't be four, five, or six.
0: Yeah. So, so that is pretty much your, the only yeah. thing in regards to layout you have to worry about versus hand cut. Where you got to mm-hmm. scrub your line and mark this and do that. I mean, that's where I was coming from. Is layout is huge when it comes down to hand cutting them, just because yeah. you know, not necessarily for the best dovetail board but you know you can get creative with the spacing and all that stuff
2: yeah and that's that's why i said it's interesting because layout is important even with a jig like this that's static Mm -hmm. layout Mm -hmm. layout you know to be honest with you laying out anything whether it's dados Mm
0: -hmm.
2: rabbits anything it's important To know where things are going, I draw I draw stuff on boards all the time. Mm -hmm. It helps me visualize it, especially since I don't work off plans a lot of times. Mm. So it's just you know I'm just building stuff.
1: Yeah. If I could add one more thing, and I think it applies to whatever method you're using, is stick with that method for a little while and learn it. Um, because if you're moving from method to method, you might not, you might not become proficient and really not understand what we're talking about in terms of understanding the layout and knowing that layout, whatever method it is that you're using, because each one is going to be nuanced in its own way.
2: Well, I, I I said, I, I hope that helps Billy. I know we kind of got off in the weeds a little bit, maybe. But uh, we could talk about dovetails and jigs and methods for hours and still not even, you know, come close to what, you know, a lot of people need to hear. So I hope that helps. And I don't know who's got the next question. Me. Sean. All right.
0: So this one's from Matthew. If I wanted to try my hand at veneering my own panels, what setup processes do you recommend? This would be an attempt to do it without diving into and purchasing what I hear you guys talk about as a vacuum bag. Is it even possible to veneer my own panels without a vacuum bag? Matthew. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take one solution and then I'm going to pass it on so I don't say all of the all of the options to let you guys talk about it a little bit. But uh yep, it's possible. Uh and there are a few different methods for doing it. Um, you know, it just well the one that I'm gonna cover is the uh is called iron-on veneering using an adhesive like a heat lock veneer. Uh it's a glue from a company that I purchased it from called veneer supplies. They're not a sponsor. Um but it's it's a, a type of glue that you Put on the panel and put on the back of the veneer. Let it dry. Lay it down, and then iron it on, and it and it uh, sticks it down, and and does a really good job. I've not used it on a flat panel. I've used it many years ago on a little retro arcade gaming um, box that I made, and I'm looking at it now, and it still holds perfectly fine. Um, but you know, using an iron-on method for uh, for adhering that to the panel is definitely. Uh, an option for you to, uh, to do that. I know that, um, you know, guy. I'm going to pass it off to you. What would be your recommendation, a quick hitter for them to not have a vacuum bag, but when they want to make their own veneer panels,
2: that, that, that that iron on veneer is a very good choice. I've actually seen people do very large tabletops Mm -hmm. using that method. Before I got a vacuum, I've been doing veneering for a very long time. And before I got the vacuum bag, i used calls mm-hmm. um i actually do have a video on youtube on my youtube channel called veneering without a vacuum bag strangely enough oh there you go uh and it shows oh. what my method is I basically i take the it it, it can be pretty labor intensive for large tabletops but it can mm-hmm. work so basically we've got two pieces of melamine which is like a plastic paper coating over chipboard. And nice thing about it is it's very flat and glue doesn't stick to it. Mm -hmm. So, and it's cheap, (laughs) but it's really super heavy. Um, And let's say I'm, I'm doing a, a, a tabletop that's, you know, four by six. So you'd cut the, the melamine a little bit larger than, or three by six, 42 by six would actually be the right size. So you'd cut the the piece of melamine a little bit larger than that. And then you'd get calls that go on the top and bottom of it and go across it, uh, across its width. And they're uh, cambered clamping calls. In other words, you take them on the joiner and you go halfway on one side Halfway on the other side, and you create like a V shape along its length, so that when you clamp it on the ends, one underneath and one on top, you clamp it down. It applies pressure towards the whole panel. Does that make sense? Yep. It's kind of hard to explain, and I probably didn't explain. I was going, what? Yeah, it'd be best to look at
0: a picture when you Google it.
2: Yeah, or watch my video. (laughs) There you go, guys. Woodshop on YouTube. Shameless plug. Um, no, but, but, but I show how to do all this stuff.
1: A hundred percent. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm messing with you guys. And, and, <laughs> that's, and
2: that's how I did it for years. Right. And it works, but again, you, there's a lot of extra, extra materials that you need to have and you've mm-hmm. got to have all this stuff and you have to prepare very well to do it. Yep. And it's, and it, but it does work and it works really well. So and I'll pass it off to Hui.
1: Uh, Contact cement. Paperback veneer, sanding the back of paperback veneer, lightly sanding it to give it some tooth, and then um, using some contact cement on both the substrate and on the paperback, paperback veneer, and uh, putting some calls down, some I guess sticks, story sticks, whatever you want to call them, uh, and just slowly working from the center out, and using either some type of J roller or um, some type of roller, hard rubber roller, work, work as well, and just rolling it out and getting all those air bubbles out. Um, I have done it a couple of times, and it worked all right. Didn't have any failures, uh, but yeah, you could you could do it. Do that method: contact cement and paperback veneer.
2: Yeah, I've I've done that at work a couple of times. Yeah, how did Since it? I'm how did it about. turn out? Now, you guys, do you really guys well. use?
1: Did did you just use like regular content like over no, the counter? It was,
2: no, it was some um, commercially <laughs> commercial. Yeah, yeah. It was actually it's actually designed to be sprayed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, it says you could use a roller, so I used a foam roller and put the stuff on, and it worked. It's the first time I've done. It. I I I think I've done it twice since I've been there. It worked really well. Okay. The only thing is, it seems that the the on the paperback veneer that you should be using for doing the contacts and that stuff, the veneer itself is super thin. I mean, mm. thinner than the forty second of an inch thick. Right. Right. Commercial veneer. So you got to be super careful. I mean, I I remember I built this one piece and I just touched the sander to it.
1: Yeah. With yeah.
2: one eighty. I mean, mm-hmm. I just touched it and it burned through. So, so, so
1: the veneer and then the, is thin, but obviously you had the paper behind it, correct?
2: Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. So I had, I had to re, you know, re-veneer that piece. Right. Makes sense. Be careful so. there. Any All other, right. any other ways that you can think of Sean real quick? Nope. I think those three
0: are a good, uh, a good, uh, starting point. You know, it's just like the, the, the question about the router and, you know, you can yeah. do it, but at the end of the day, it's going to be easier to just buy a bag and a vacuum and you can make it work, but you know, how much effort do you want to put into it? Have you seen some of these small
1: kits and he, you know, maybe something that he can start off with as a beginner is making small veneered boxes, like boxes with small panels in it. Have you seen some of these kits? I guess a lot of skateboard.
2: Yeah. The rocket kits.
1: Yeah. And they've got the little pump on them and whatnot. They're, They're pretty inexpensive. Yeah. Are they not good?
2: I I've know. never used them. Yeah. So but, you know. Buy once, cool. cry once.
1: Yeah, true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, well, Matthew, hope that helps. We're going to pass it back off to Hui for his uh, second question.
1: Okay, so this is from Dan. And I feel like we have answered this question before, but I yeah. think it's it's good to sort of revisit it in maybe a different capacity. Um, this is from Dan. Hey guys, quick question. I like to resaw turning blanks to make small boxes and they often come covered in wax or something. When I receive them, should I scrape off the wax immediately and let them acclimate to the shop or wait until I'm ready to mill them? Also, what's the best way to do that? I was thinking skim cuts on the table saw. Thank you. Um, so the first question is covered with wax When I receive them, should I scrape off the wax immediately and let them acclimate to the shop? Well, it depends. (laughs) Here's the thing: you never know how wet they are when you're when because they're coming from all over the place, particularly if they're an exotic wood, South America, Africa, wherever. um, They're covered in wax for a reason, and they're covered in wax to allow them to uh, uh, the moisture within the wood to slowly evaporate so that they don't warp, they don't crack, and that's why they're waxed. So, if you are to scrape it off immediately as you resaw it, just understand that the likelihood that it's going to move on you is pretty high. So that you're you're cutting it rough, resawing it rough, knowing that you're going to take it down to final thickness to make your box. So you're saying
2: scrape the wax off and let it acclimate.
1: You can do that. Yes. And then like go, go straight through and rough cut it. And you know, it's going to move because that's what it's going to do. Or you can leave the wax on until you're absolutely ready to use it. And I think your best bet is to buy just, just for your knowledge, buy a cheap moisture meter, take a reading, see how much it's dropping as it's in your shop. And see and figure out when it levels out. And if you don't want to do that and you don't want to wait, then you can scrape it off. Just realize that you've got to go through the milling process and realize that it is going to move on you. That's what I would do. So you could go one way or you could go the other. But either way, there's going to be evaporation and and it's going to move on you.
0: Let me ask you something, Hui. So mm-hmm. in Dan's question, I'm assuming he's buying really large blanks. And mm-hmm. he's milling them so that he can resaw them. Is that why he's milling them?
1: That's that's my take on it. Yeah. Okay. You know, look. I mean, they they seem like. I mean, he's saying small boxes. Well, what's a small box? I mean, is it a yeah four inch by four inch box? That's not too big of a blank. A four inch by four inch like turning blank of sorts. Um, that's not terrible. I mean, it's well,
0: yeah. I know nothing of dip- turning stuff like that. What does he consider? Is a box just a bowl with a lid? Uh well he's saying re saw turning blanks to make small boxes. Oh, okay. So he maybe he yeah, could yeah. be legit using that to miter make mitered boxes because you can yeah. get some really nice looking material out of turning mm-hmm. blanks. Okay. Correct.
1: Cool. That's that's how I take it. I gotcha. I'm gonna throw it out to you
0: guys. <laughs> yeah, I have no experience, Dan, so don't listen to me. But you know, if it were me <laughs> and I had and I had some turning blanks that I was wanting to, uh, make boxes out of. Again, this is probably bad advice. So, you know, whatever, take it with a grain <laughs> of salt. I would probably re, uh, resaw it oversized, let it sit yeah. and then let it sit for a couple weeks, then mill it, take it down, flatten it to its final size and then go to town on it again. But yeah. I don't deal with turning blanks.
1: So, so here I'm going to, I'm going to keep it with you, Sean. Uh-oh. I was thinking, he says here, what's the best way to do that? I was thinking skim cuts on the table saw. I'm wondering if he's asking him, is he asking how
0: to mill it or how to remove the wax? I think he's asking asking how to remove the wax. Yeah, that's the
2: way I take it.
0: And guys, this may sound stupid. I have no experience with this, but why can't he just joint it? I mean, again, that may be dumb. Is that going to dull the blades? I don't know. I've never had blanks with wax wax on it.
2: Yeah, that- I think carbide, if you got a helical head, I think the carbide tips are harder than wax. I yeah, so do I don't that.
0: know. I mean, that, that was just an idea, and that could be a, a dumb. You may want to ask someone that deals with this stuff, but um, either that or, you know, take a hand plane to it or, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you're going through, a, if you're talking about going through a table saw blade with it, then I would imagine just straight jointing it would be sufficient. Yeah,
2: Some absolutely. of those pieces are pretty small, though. Yeah, So if you've got a piece that's, like eight or nine inches long, I'd question running that over a joiner. Well, it depends Uh, on,
0: yeah. I mean, we could say a million different things without knowing the size of the blanks. Yeah. It's, it's difficult, Dan. And, you know, that's hard to answer. Yeah. I I think a skim
1: cut on the table saw should be fine though. If that's what he's suggesting. But but
0: he's, if he's talking about milling it, that means he's then going to take it to some milling machine, whether a joiner and a planer. So I I don't know if it's too small for to joining you definitely won't be able to plane it unless you come up with a sled. But see, I mean we, we could talk theoretical, stuff, you know. Yeah, for, true. From here until the end of time, it's it's hard to say.
1: Yeah. What are your thoughts, guy? Small pieces joining, milling it. What do you, uh, what would you do? Covered
2: with wax. I have never ever bought anything like that. Mm. The the simple logic and the 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 norms. Of not like Norm <laughs> Abrams, but the norm, the status quo, the the uh, general consensus would be exactly what Sean said before. Mm-hmm. Uh, get the wax off of it, rough mill it, let I'm it fine. sit for a couple of weeks, yeah, and then then mill it to final thickness when you're ready to use it.
0: Right. And you may not have to get the wax off of it before you resaw it. I mean, if it's not that bad, I mean, yeah. if you're resawing it enough, it won't take much to flatten it out on the joiner. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I,
2: that, that to me, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I've never used a piece, you know, I've never bought a piece of, you know, zebra wood coated in wax before. Oh, I've never even used zebra wood not coated in wax before.
1: Now, now you've done so, some green and green pieces with ebony plugs and whatnot where, where did you get that and how I was, just bought how ebony
2: from um where did I get it from I bought I bought ebony like twice in my life but I bought boards of it not just a little turning square <clears throat> and I've dropped like a hundred and fifty two hundred dollars on a four foot long board
0: now I have had those little smaller ebony sticks that were that did have wax on it and I just used the table saw yeah you- and I just I have to cut it flip it cut it flip it I think what's, I what's, a, the what's a
2: place up in Michigan that does the the Belforce Belforce products that's where I bought it from okay I bought it a couple times there
0: not a sponsor <laughs> we're,
2: not, we're not sponsored yeah
0: so all right hope that helps <laughs> yeah we don't uh, good luck
2: <laughs> <laughs> leave it to we to always ask the questions nobody has done everything anything
1: what? we got to answer some of these. And besides it's good. It's, it, 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 it flexes our brain muscles, right? So whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: well, well, I think
0: guy, let's see what your next question is. So okay, we can pick my it next
2: question is from Adam podcast and Adam asks, well, first he says, thanks to you all for the wonderful podcast. Really enjoy the way you discuss our sometimes dumb questions with great care." <laughs> I appended my question in an early message, but I don't think it got answered. If it did, please just redirect me. I don't think we answered it, Adam. Mm. Uh, Sometimes we just don't get to questions. And if we didn't, I apologize. I was finishing up a console made of red oak lately with a couple coats of shellac, followed by three to four coats of total boat water-based poly. Again and again, I'd put on a coat of the poly that looked completely smooth, only to come back to what looked like dirty gray raindrops with long tails. Not the look I was going for for my beautiful red oak piece. I was using a foam brush to apply. I didn't see any of these trails when I was putting on the finish. And it happened on both horizontal and vertical surfaces I finished. Is this a well known problem with water based poly? Is it my brushes? But most importantly, is there a way to avoid it? I loathe having to go back and sand it and reapply. Also, while you're at it, is it worse to finish things vertically rather than horizontally because the finish might collect and drop down, drip down? Thank you for your thoughts, Um, Adam. So. I'm going to answer his last question first, which I do sometimes. <laughs> Two in a row. <laughs> yes. It's better to do things horizontally horizontally than vertically mm-hmm. because there's less chances of your finish sagging if you put too much on. Yeah. Um, and that's just a gimme, a gimme. As far as what that is, I have never used Total Boat water-based poly. I have used water-based poly before though. Yep. Uh, both the Minwax and the General Finishes. Uh, and had really good luck with both. But I will tell you, any water-based finish is very, very susceptible to humidity after it dries. And mm. you can get, you know, little cloudy spots underneath the finish if it's really super humid out. You did a good thing by sealing the wood first or put a seal coat of the shellac on. Uh, that's going to prevent any any moisture coming up into the water-based finish, which is always a big plus. That's the only thing I can see that might be causing those raindrops with long tails. What do you guys think of that? How old is uh, the
0: finish? Mm, true. And he not and- say that. Was it, was it mixed? Well, is it a, you know, is it, is it something other than gloss and it wasn't mixed? Well, um, perhaps, um, you know, that's, that's the only thing that I can think of that would cause maybe cause that dirty gray rain. You know, is it the, what is that stuff called the, the flattening agents in there perhaps not being, yeah. not being, uh, mixed well. And yeah, they're gathered create, in-
2: a, create a, a consistent defect. Of gray raindrops with long mm-hmm. tails?
0: What does it say that it was consistent? I just it just says it only to come back to what looked like dirty gray raindrops mm. with long tails. I, I don't know. I mean that's mm. the only thing I could think of on you know on something like that. It's sealed with shellac. Um let me ask you a dumb question before I continue. Would water based poly be okay going over a waxed
2: shellac?
1: I've never I used forget- wax shellac. I think it needs to be a de-wax shellac. Am I correct on that?
2: I would. I I would never use shellac with wax on it as so a seal coat. I'm wondering if maybe that happened. I I yeah, don't that's know. Possible. That's a that's a that's a good that's a good question. That's a good, good, that's good, a good question, yeah, question Sean. I didn't yeah. think of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Look at the big brain on Sean.
0: Oh my
1: goodness! I will
2: tell you what,
0: it's hard sometimes <sighs> keeping that up there. That's all that I have yeah. is maybe wax shellac maybe you didn't it's old finish maybe you didn't steer it enough that's literally all that i have
2: but he also asked you know is it my brushes no it's not your brushes no um i think i think it's the
1: humidity Uh, i think it's conditions
2: yeah that's i'm thinking it's humidity too
1: Mm -hmm. yep it's just drying very slowly and then you're getting those runs and sags and you know collecting dust and that's what i think that's what he's seeing yeah that makes sense to me. Gray,
0: raindrops?
2: Rain, gray raindrops with long tails. Maybe, maybe he doesn't say if that's on vertical surfaces or horizontal surfaces. If it's on vertical surfaces, that makes sense. Well, you said, yes. and it
0: happened on both horizontal and vertical surfaces yeah. that I finished. Mm. Okay. So I, yeah, I mean, say that. I don't, I don't know. I mean, even if you had humidity issues, I, pff, I, again, gray raindrops with long tails
1: hmm Sounds like a few of my favorite things. <laughs> so
2: I guess one of the things that we should say is that if you, if anybody out there does know or has experienced this before, call Hui. His oh. His phone one number six is 615-279-400-8.
0: <laughs> and a four. Whatever, guys. Uh,
1: guys, stop
2: giving... Uh, each no individual digit of my number, okay? But those are the actual numbers. There's only three numbers left. Let me see oh. what those are. Maybe I can help. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, they are. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, I'm giving. I'm giving the real numbers out here. 218-40-47269.
0: Eight. No, it's not even close. Not even close. All right, all right. You want me to give you the real number? I got the real number, folks. Uh, so no, do I saw the Thank you. Pay me. Thank it you. Out. PayPal me thirty-five dollars and give you Huy's number. <laughs> Only
2: thirty-five dollars. I'd
0: make at least fifty. I'm gonna have, Dad, you, can have a, of a, of you, you can have a good you can a good night out of town, town. for
2: fifty bucks. Man. Hey, you forgot oh, where I live. Goodness.
0: Thirty-five will do me just fine. Yeah, no. that's, true. that's true. But <laughs> I'm gonna take my wife with me. Oh well, there you
2: go.
1: Well, Sean, it's up to you, man. All right.
0: It's, uh, is it this the final question on me already? Yep. Yep. All right. This is, is from fun. Troy. Hey guys, thanks for a great podcast and for answering questions from all of us. I have a question about planers. I'm looking to upgrade my lunchbox planner to something that is better than what I have now. He currently has a rigid 12 and a half inch. Mm-hmm. I had a 15 inch planner years ago and I'm wondering if I need a large planner in, in quotes, a 15 or 20 inch with something like a DeWalt 735 work just fine. Thanks for your input, Troy. Well, this is this is a good question. And, you know, the main difference between, well, one of the differences between, I probably shouldn't say the main, uh, between the two, and I've had both uh, between the, and I guess so is Troy, between the uh, floor standing planer and the lunchbox planer is the motor type. You know, the lunchbox motor is a universal motor, whereas the floor standing unit's going to come with, what do they call them, an induction motor?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: The universal motors are oftentimes less powerful for the most part and extremely loud. You know, I think I read somewhere, and this is a pretty good, uh, you know, description of that, uh, a comparison as induction motors hum and universal motors scream. Man, and that's, good. The, that's a good assessment. The, the, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, with that aside, um, do you need a larger planer? No, I don't. Do you need? No, not in my opinion. Again, this is just my opinion. Um, It just depends on your workflow. How often are you in the shop? um, And, you know, how how often you're going to be using the planer. As far as capacity, I personally started with the DeWalt 734 and used it probably four or five years. It had a 12 and a half inch capacity. And then I switched over to what I have now. And lost some capacity, a half an inch to be exact. So now I'm down to the combo 12. Um, so I've only ever used at most 12 inch capacity since I started woodworking, and it's worked fine for my needs. Um, you know, I can't joint wider than 12 inches, boohoo, I know. Uh, so I rarely, if ever, need to plane wider than that. And I never buy surface lumber. So again, if I'm able to joint 12, I'd typically only plane 12. I do have a drum sander, so that helps with. Some stuff, but I've never needed to plane. Well, I'm sure at some point I have, but I t- typically never need to plane anything wider than uh, than 12 inches. And you know, I will say before I pass this on to Guy, because he has experience about what I'm about to say, there is a downside to using these universal motor uh, planers, even though the 735 is an excellent planer, uh, but you can't use them for long periods of time. They do get hot and they shut down mm-hmm, requesting yep. you to let them cool <laughs> off before you can continue. So if you're needing a workhorse and 12 inches is fine or you want to go larger, you're going to want to look at, you know, the induction motor uh, floor standing that you can probably get used on Craigslist. Mm -hmm. Pretty, pretty cheap, you know. Um, But, you know, the reason why I'm going to pass it to guy because he can explain to you about the 735 that he had. He had a helical head, but he kept running into that one problem. What was that guy?
2: Uh, It would shut down on me. You know, if I'm doing a, a lot of wood, let's say I've got a a project where I've got a hundred board feet that I've got, that I usually buy, you know, like four quarter or five quarter, I uh, face joint one side, and then I got to take off a quarter inch. And with that helical head on a 735, you can only take off like less, a little bit less than a sixteenth of an inch in a pass. So you're there for a couple hours. And after an hour, the machine will shut down. And then you're pretty much dead in the water for the next couple hours while well, it cools off. Plus, it's loud.
1: Wow. Is it really that long of a waiting period to let it cool? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah,
2: it takes a couple
0: hours. <clears throat>
2: uh, that, that was mine anyways. It took a couple hours. Yeah. A um, 734
0: would take right around that too when it heated, when it would heat up like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, but other than that, it it, it was a, a, I mean, it was really good. I didn't really have, other than that issue, mm-hmm. it worked very well um, and did a good job. What that- Sean was talking about before too, about the capacity of the planer, you know, do I need a 12 inch, do I need a 15 inch, do I need a 20 inch, do I need a 24 inch, do I need a 30 inch? It really depends on what the heck you're making. Yeah. So let's say you're, you're working with a lot of uh, slabs that are 24 to 30 inches wide. Well, I'd recommend getting a big drum sander, like a 37-inch mm. drum sander to do that. Mm. Um, but the, 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 the thing is, if you've got... Let me give you an example. So at work, we've got 24-inch, 20-inch. Planers. Planers. Mm. So we make a lot of butcher blocks. Butcher block tops and butcher block tables. So what we do is, you know, they're standard is, you know, they're 36 or 42 inches wide most of the time. And if they're under 42 inches, what we'll do is we'll make one half and then the other half, and we can put it through the the, the planer because it's you know, like 18 inches to 20 inches wide, which is something you can't do on the small planer. So there is a practical use to have the larger width. Myself and my own shop as a hobbyist, let's say, most of the time when you're buying lumber, I don't care if it's from a local sawyer or from a lumber yard. You will be hard pressed to find to get any wood that is over twelve inches wide. Yeah, correct.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Correct, it's correct. So it's tough.
2: In that case, you know, if you're going to get in, uh, uh get into a planer with an induction motor, and you don't have, you know, really deep pockets like we does,
1: <laughs> whatever, guys. <laughs> Giving away my number, calling me a rich engineer. Hey, nobody. Said I never said
2: engineer.
0: Listen here, buddy get off your high horse <laughs> oh my goodness
2: you know we if i didn't like you i wouldn't, I wouldn't you wouldn't make with fun of with me i, I wouldn't mess with you.
0: he'd give out those final three digits yeah no. yeah
2: don't, so anyways don't, like,
1: don't think that i don't actually like it and enjoy it all right come on i know go ahead so
2: um <laughs> the good thing about like a 15 inch uh you know floor standing unit is that it's it's probably the most common size. Of you know, freestanding joint or planers, there should be plenty available on Craigslist. Oh, or yeah, the the, the Facebook uh, marketplace. Mm. So, if you want to buy one used, that would be the place to go.
1: I, I think the biggest thing that you guys touched on in terms of differences between the two, the lunchbox planer and the standalone induction motor type planers, uh, is the length of time that you're using. Now, my first uh, planer was a Delta lunchbox planer.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, I had that for a year, but you have to think, uh, in, in the beginning of my woodworking, I was not milling to the extent that I do now for the length of time that I do now. Uh, I am doing bigger projects. And so, you know, I, I've, I had that Delta planer for a year and I sold it and then I bought a used, uh, jet molder planer it was a planer that you could also put like molder mm-hmm. molding heads in uh, i love that thing that thing was great that was a 13 inch capacity and i had that they for still make
2: they still make that
1: yeah it was, a, it was the open open frame base mm-hmm. um and i had that for two or three years and then i sold that and i went to a 15 inch um grizzly planer and now i'm i'm down to the uh 12 inch um joiner joiner planer combo machine. So
2: do you have any, have you ever had any regrets of not having a 15 inch planer anymore?
1: No, because on a very, on very, very, very rare occasion, I would use over 12 inches in 12 inch capacity on the 15 inch planer. Uh, That that wasn't the reason. In fact, actually I kind of look back on it. It was kind of silly that I got rid of the jet 13 inch planer you know, to, to upgrade. Cause I thought, you know, go to a 15 inch Grizzly, right.
2: It's, yeah.
1: it's better, more capacity, but I never really needed
2: that. Well, there, there is one advantage of the wider bed. So let's say you've got a 15 inch or a 20 inch. Mm-hmm. Nobody says you have to put the boards through one at a time.
1: True. So mm-hmm.
2: you can, let's say you got a 20 inch plate. You got a bunch of six inch wide, four to six inch wide boards. You can Mm -hmm. put three through at a time, Yep, which is something we do at work constantly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. for sure. So food for thought.
0: No matter what size you get, you're always going to run into lumber that's wider than that. Yeah, I had 22, 24-inch wide. Those Babinga boards that I had, I had to rip them. I had to rip them. Yeah, and they were 10 feet long, 24 inches wide or something like that. Maybe even wider. They were heavy, heavy. But, you know, I can count on one hand the times that I wish I had something like a 20 inch, but again, I don't. So it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. But all right. I will end on, I did hear the 735 is noticeably louder than the 734. I don't know if you've ever used both, but Hmm. that's just something. But the 735 with the helical heads, what guy had, I mean, if you don't, if you're not a power user, I mean, that's a fantastic machine to get.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: righty, I think that'll do it for this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions that you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through the Instagram account at Woodshoplife. We'd also like to thank everyone who left us a five star review on iTunes. It really helps in the search rankings and of course we truly appreciate the support and feedback. And we've not received any uh reviews in a long time. So if you guys could head on over and do that, that would be fantastic. You can reach me at simplecove.com and at simplecove on Instagram and YouTube. Hui. Where can they find you?
1: AlabamaWoodworker.com, all the links to my social media on my website and guy where can we find you
2: at guys woodshop on youtube and instagram and tender no i'm just joking (laughs) and rumble
0: (laughs) what is what is this
1: oh gosh all right Uh, fellas
0: thanks for listening uh we'll see you in a couple weeks see you in a couple
2: all right see you
0: bye bye bye